All right. Um, so this is uh, Kevin Richards. I'm back hosting uh, another segment of the Playing uh, with uh, Research and Health and Physical Education podcast uh, focused on our uh, kind of spinoff, um, going behind the research. Uh, and just as a reminder, we use this segment to tell stories that surround research that we read in scholarly journals rather than focusing on the, uh, the research itself. Um, globally, this aims to, to uh, humanize research by providing a forum to discuss the motives that draw researchers towards topic and studies, challenges and successes experienced along the way, and lessons learned that transcend individual journal publications and impact the future uh, research decisions that we make as scholars. Um, each episode will feature an interview with uh, one or more uh, members of an authorship team to discuss the stories behind a selected publication. Um, We'll begin with a brief overview of the study, but then focus the majority of our conversation, um, again, on the stories that get behind the research. Uh, and I'm very excited today. I have the opportunity to chat with uh, Dr. Lee, Dr. Emily Jones from Illinois State University. Uh, and she's going to talk to us about her uh, paper uh, that was recently accepted in uh, health behavior and policy research uh, called Environmental Constructs Associated with School Readiness to Implement Wellness Initiatives. Uh, so Emily, could you just uh, open up maybe by talking about your co-authors and then taking us through the um, uh, uh, through through the, the kind of big picture overview of the study? Of course. Thanks, Kevin. This is exciting to be able to chat a little bit about this work. This has been a project that has been evolving and growing um, for quite some time. Specifically, uh, we've we've kind of been in the weeds and, and really working with some great community partners across the last five years. Just to acknowledge um, the research team on this particular publication, I've got some great colleagues here at Illinois State and beyond. Um, uh, Dr. Andrew Eberlein, Tyler Cabartis are both within the School of Kinesiology and Recreation at Illinois State. Uh, Megan Weimer was at uh, Health Sciences uh, here at Illinois State when she was working on the project, has since transitioned uh, to A.T. Still University. Uh, and then the, our final co-author is Joseph Lee uh, at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Um, the co-authors on this piece uh, were really integral in the initial kind of lead up and starting of this initiative with our community partners, which I'll share with you a little bit about. But what's exciting is as we learned more about the work, about the need of the community and ways that we can really partner and be um, value added partners with our school uh, um, stakeholders and our community partners, we've realized that we needed to extend and expand our research team to include folks from um, different units such as uh, psychology, geography, nursing, um, and in our, our, our community health partners as well. So uh, as we talk today, and as I share a little bit about the project, I just wanna reinforce the fact that this project has been very uh, relational. Uh, it's been pretty organic uh, and it's generated a lot of really neat partnerships and, and uh, ideas that we've, that we've spurred from. So um, to begin, uh, kind of the backstory, right? I love this idea that we're going behind the research because often community engaged scholarship uh, looks and feels really big and hard to initiate. Uh, most often you see the uh, byproduct of, of a partnership that has been established through trust and uh, lots of communication and perhaps some negotiations along the way. And when it gets to a, a, an in-press or a publication or a presentation form, 
you tell the parts of the story that uh, were the successes. Um, and in any relationship, scholarly or otherwise, that includes, and that includes humans, um, chances are there's missteps along the way, uh, miscommunications, misinterpretations, uh, and maybe realignments of goals. And so uh, it's required a lot, um, a, a lot of growth from myself as the, the lead investigator, uh, as well as somebody who um, knows that I don't have all of the answers and I don't have expertise that spans all of the areas that really need to, um, that need to be bolstered. And so partnering and surrounding yourself with a team uh, of, of researchers and scholars who can amplify that um, has really been a growth area for me. So the work. Um, the work is really re rewarding. Um, this particular piece um, that's, that's uh, set to be published in Health Behavior and Policy Review really is one of our initial findings uh, from our, our first partnership. Uh, uh, well, it's the partnership, but it's our first stab at um, building that relationship with our community school partners. So we're, we're housed here in central Illinois. Um, and uh, when, um, when we look at our community, there's a lot of assets and resources that could promote well-being and wellness for our community uh, and our school-aged children and their families. When we think about our schools being uh, hubs for, um, for school-aged children and families as a place where they uh, are, is, is trusted, right? You've got a, a wide range of trusted adults who are invested in the well-being, uh, physical and mental and emotional growth of, of young people. Um, and by, by and as by virtue, their extended families, um, biological or otherwise, the communities in which they live and how they service or don't service um, uh, populations um, based on need. Um, and then the connection to the university. You know, we're uh, as a researcher and and, this, and a faculty member uh, who trains future teachers. I'm very keen and aware that. Uh, future teachers are going into these local communities, schools, and uh, they need to recognize who the children are, who the families are, what's the context, and specifically because it's physical education and, and health, uh, who we're training, um, what are the needs of the children, how to best, best meet those needs. Um, so this particular project uh, spurred from uh, this idea that if we're going to be mindful of the whole school and how we're, how we're teaching and fostering um, health and well-being of school-aged children, uh, we can't just look at the, the constraints of 30 minutes in the gymnasium as a PE teacher, um, but rather what is the school environment? What are the constraints? Uh, what are these systems that are in place that might um, provide um, uh, opportunities for teachers to connect with children and um, and do so in a manner that's more like what's the environment that facilitates physical activity, physical education, health and well-being. So um, and we took it from a needs uh, needs and strength based evaluation um, and looked at the environmental constraints um, that could associate with schools readiness to implement new changes to their systems, policies, and structures. Um, so kind of zoomed out a little bit from the PE setting uh, and, um, and served as uh, partners with the school stakeholders to look at 
what they had at their advantage that they could capitalize on, uh, and what are some areas for growth that um, as an external folks, as, as researchers, we could maybe serve as linkages. Mm. Uh, we could help provide an outside voice and perspective to say, this is really outstanding and let's find a way to capitalize on what it is you're already doing. And perhaps we can see some connections to um, existing assets that could fill gaps that exist in your school and beyond. So probably more than a nutshell there, but um, this piece showcases kind of uh, at the district level, what we saw across the, the nine schools mm -hmm. in terms of strengths and areas for needed improvement that um, we could partner with them relative to wellness. Yeah, well, uh, very cool. Thank you uh, for, for kind of walking us through that, kind of uh, giving a little bit of the background. And I think that that, that leads uh, really well actually into, into the next question, which is just you know, starting broadly, what, what's gotten you personally interested in, in this type of work? What draws you to this community-based work? I've got a lot of notes written down from, from uh, you know, after, as you were kind of introducing things, lots of topics that I, that I want to uh, touch back on, many of which we probably won't have time for. But, um, you know, one of the things that I pick up from, from what you had said is that this, take, this work takes time, it takes effort, and it takes cultivating relationships, which takes time and effort. Um, so, so it's hard. Uh, so what draws you to it then? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. It does. There's effort and time. And sometimes uh, both of those don't guarantee a product that right. anyone's going to want to learn about, <laughs> except my own growth or the team's growth. Um, what draws me to it? That's a really solid question. So um, I think perhaps what draws me most to it is the idea that is value added. Um, I respect that my colleagues across different units um, learn and grow um, by using a wide range of methodology. I love to and appreciate the work, this work, because I can see the impact that makes in schools and in the lives of kids in the community. Um, and and that's, that's, that's really it, right, is, is the impact that it can make. And, and whether or not I see that impact in the short term, because, you know, that doesn't always happen. It doesn't transpire next week. Um, but I, I have grown to really appreciate systems and policy level work. Yeah. Um, you know, big P and small P, so federal and local policy and how um, really policy and systems level thinking um, creates greater accessibility and access to all populations. It's really equity minded. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the draw. And then the second one, which is maybe a little bit selfish, but um, it's not selfish. It's, it's, it's what I appreciate is, is this nice idea of collective action. Is yeah. this bringing people together to creatively and constructively um, solve important questions that are going to have an impact in kids and communities or in whatever whatever topic that is um, bringing people together and yeah. limiting or like reducing barriers or perceived um, silos mm -hmm. and and really getting your hands dirty and working together so that's what draws me 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of several notes that I that I wrote down as as you were talking before, um, what was this notion of of taking like a strengths based approach and 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 doing things with rather than for communities. I think oftentimes researchers who get who are very well intentioned uh, uh, go into communities and seek to do for, um, and that's really kind of taking mm-hmm. you know, one's own agenda. Uh, and in some ways, imposing that upon the people that that you're that you're really trying to partner with, yeah. um, you know, through some of our side conversations off yeah. of this recording, and then also through, um, you know, what some of the things you've said so far, it's evident that you really try to do with. Um, yeah. And again, that's another one of those things that 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 takes more time, it takes more relationship building, it takes more effort. Um, so, so I guess maybe the follow up question then is not only why this topic, but why the with rather than for approach? Mm. Yeah, so in another life with colleagues at West Virginia University, um, I kind of grew up as a researcher uh, on a research team that was trans and interdisciplinary. Um, I really um, lucked out, I guess, by being able to be part of a team of, of faculty and faculty researchers who at that point in that work were public health, cardiac, you know, pediatric cardiologists, extension officers, um, uh, folks within um, housing authority, uh, community and, and county commission folks. And the community work that we did there um, expanded a couple of different counties in rural Appalachia. Not being from West Virginia, it was a blessing to be able to um, kind of gain access into these communities and these schools um, by virtue of, of um, positioning oneself and the research team uh, truly in an authentic way as partners, mm. um, not coming in to say that we know what it is that you need and let us tell you what it is that you need. Um, I remember being in Southern West Virginia and we were having a, a meeting with these community members and uh, no one said it, it was, it was not overt, um, but really there was a healthy amount of skepticism as to why these people from four and a half hours north were down in our community center, um, pitching the spiel about um, school wellness and physical activity. And the skepticism sort of felt like if I put words in their mouth, we've had people like you come in here before and tell us what it is that we need. And you saddled up next side to us and you did what you did because the grant that you got and you did your project and you got the data and then y'all left us. Yep. Okay. Um, you know, scholarly speaking, data grab. <laughs> and, and, you know, being a, being a qualitative researcher, being an observant individual, a reader of people, um, number one, I read that. Number two, I didn't like that. Um, that's not how I build relationships interpersonally. I'm not interested in being transactional um, as, a, as a human, as a friend, as a scholar, as a colleague, um, as a teacher educator. And um, I, the research team there, we were committed to not data grab, right? So we were very conscious of that in all of our interactions. Um, it wasn't strategic. It wasn't tiptoeing around the tulips. It wasn't, you know, trying to make them think we were doing one thing when we were actually doing the other. It was a lot of transparency. And so I learned that as a young scholar, as a young researcher, just how significant that is yep. to garner trust, to be open, to work alongside um, 
And, and, and this project, just as a kind of bringing it back here, so these data um, were sort of informed by, by you know, what I learned from, from my, my time spent in, in, in West Virginia working on those projects. Um, and when, when I assembled, we assembled the team here, here in, in central Illinois, um, we kind of came with it from this, okay, let's partner with and alongside, and we can do this needs assessment that's, that's really going to focus on your strengths and your assets. We've got some past experiences, um, stars aligned. They, uh, were recipients of the U.S. Department of Agricultural funding, federal funding. And so policy mandated that they did a triannual evaluation of their wellness environments and, um, you know, policy and accountability for um, already busy school professionals who are trying to do the work can sometimes feel like just an extra, mm. right? Mm. And so accountability work, policy work um, can, am I saying that they've done this? No, can be very tertiary in uh, what we're gonna do to report back, to say that we are in fact, uh, uh, yes, we're doing what it is that we said that we were going to do based on the funding uh, that we are receiving from 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 this policy. And, um, and so I said, you know what, we can do that for you. We will walk alongside with you mm -hmm. and, do that. and we can make it a robust process. Um, we have the knowledge, skills and experience at the university. We are a local asset for you if you would to uh, be so inclined to trust us to walk along and design this uh, with you. We've got some past experience. Um, and the project morphed uh, as we sat around the table, looked at each other in the face and said, what is it that you need? What is it that we can do? What is feasible and reasonable? Um, and Kevin, we, we had to change after we pitched the idea to the administrators. So we had a plan and we were ready to go out in the schools to start collecting these data. And we needed buy-in from our principals, the building level principals. And so we had the packet of information, we had the one pager, we had the metrics that we were gonna capture and collect from, um, the, from, the, from the stakeholders. And they said, do you know what? Principals raised their hand in the back and said, this sounds really great, Dr. Jones, but you know what my kids at my school need? Yeah. They need to know about resilience. Mm -hmm. I need to understand about their social emotional well-being. Okay. This was in 2018-19. We yep. didn't have anything built into our plan to look at uh, mental and emotional well-being um, and um, and resources or assets that could help support those children and their families. Yeah. yeah. We didn't go back to the drawing board, but we said, "Give us a little minute, and we're going to address that." And we did. So. Yeah alongside so it's a kind of a long story but to say is um it became it is uh, and it has been generative along the way and organic based on what it is that they say that they need and sometimes that has meant i've had to pull in different people onto the team because i don't yep. have that expertise yeah yeah and, and, and you know that's just that's just it's just good i mean i, I know that this particular study uh is is mixed methods um, but but I, I hear that and I just think you know what that's just good qualitative research um, because you're 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 going into an environment 
you know, with with kind of an emergent mindset and being willing to kind of follow the trail that that comes out before you. But but that's not always the the easiest thing to do. You know, as scholars, we want to have these plans. We want to walk in knowing what we're doing. Um, in being able to say, okay, well, I have some ideas, but I want this to be responsive to what what these people in this environment need. Um, you know, that I, I can see that being an uncomfortable position for a lot of people. Yeah, because you sort of get called on the carpet. Yeah, like you're you're in front of those like twenty five people who are either going to say this is not what we're interested in, thank you, but no, thank you. Right. Yep. Um, and you're you know your nonverbals and your facial expressions, and you're like, we hadn't thought of that. Uh, is either, am I going to be vulnerable and say, well, that's a little bit beyond the scope of my expertise, and that goes beyond the work that we really are going to do here, or am I going to say, you're right, that's a need, that's, yeah. that's, that's your children, these are your fam- this is your community, and if we're going to, if you're trying to build any trust, we're going to need to address the needs yeah. that you have, and Sure, it might add more time to what we had anticipated uh, and be a little bit scary to admit, I don't know how we're gonna yeah. do that. We'll work together, figure it out. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, it, across the conversation to this point, you know, the, the, the relationships have been a pretty consistent theme, both in terms of, you know, relationships within the, 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 the research teams that you work on um, and recognizing the need to kind of expand those research teams. Um, and then also in terms of building relationships with community partners and other stakeholders. And you've used a, a couple of, of, of terms um, as, as you've talked um, in thinking about access and trust and how these relationships are non-transactional, um, you know, how, they, how, how it takes time uh, in, in, uh, in order to, to kind of see success and to see that turnover. Um, and then you said something else um, that, uh, that, that really caught my attention and that I, think, that I think really gets behind one of the things that we're trying to get at in this segment. You talked about how um, you know, this is your process and you mentioned the way that, that you build relationships this way, both in a scholarly capacity and, and in a non-scholarly capacity, so maybe like more in your personal life. And so that, that communicates to me a little bit about how, you know, the, the, like these personal and professional identities kind of mesh and comes together. And, and it's like, this is not who I am at work. This is who I am as a person and how I make connections with others. So, so I, I, I just said a lot and there's not really a question embedded in there, but, but it was something that I was thinking about because, because, you know, when Tori was doing, Tori Shiver, when she was doing her dissertation, when she was defending, she, she talked about how TPSR stopped becoming a pedagogical model and started becoming part of her life or just part of her outlook. Right. And I've been thinking about yeah. that idea of how who we are professionally bleeds into who we are personally and who we are personally bleeds into who we are professionally. And it's incomplete. And I don't know where I'm going with it. But if you want to, if you have any responses, please, please. Yeah, <laughs> I got it. Yeah. Um, well, Tori's brilliant. Yeah, because. Yeah. Um, it's scary when the work beca- when you become the work and the work becomes you and you gotta you gotta disassociate that in some way because <laughs> yeah. you gotta be able to eat dinner and think about something other than uh, other than what's happening in the lives of these children that you now know that you didn't realize before um, and that's real right that's real is, is is my community is now so much more real to me these children that I see 
um, and the impact that COVID has had on their lives, um, or how now I can drive by one of the schools and see like 100% that that is, that's the, that's the community school where the children who have the highest poverty rate um, go to school. And those are the, those are the teachers who, uh, you know, secondary trauma is, is part of their, like they walk away from school having seen and heard these, these very traumatic, heart-wrenching things about the children that they see daily. And when those children leave the safety of their school environment, teachers have no control over what happens to those beautiful right. souls okay right. yep um and and so becoming the research and the research becoming you and, and you becoming so much more integral into uh part of part of it i think what tori does it's so civic engaged um Mm, some yeah. different tenets for civic engagement. And I've, I've sort of loosely flown them around, um, but four of them, uh, just as to frame uh, that civic engagement research, one of the tenets is that it's integral. <clears throat> it's integral what you in, in what it is that you do. So I'm a teacher educator and I, I need to be mindful of how um, what I'm learning as a researcher is now integrating into my uh, to my practices to train future teachers. And if it doesn't right now, how am I going to build it so that it will in the future? Um, and likewise, how is what's happening in the schools, um, or excuse me, how is what's happening at policy level and what's happening in teacher education settings, perhaps influencing what's going on in schools, right? That's collective action. That's, that's being um, mindful of how we really have to start getting on the same page with one another because like Tori probably recognized, like if we're not training future teachers to address what's happening in the schools, then we're never gonna see any sort of incremental or meaningful change. So one of the tenets is that it's integral, it's integrated into what it is that you do. Another tenet of, of civic engaged research is that it's relational. I mean, you talked a lot about that. I've talked a lot about that, that it's about building relationships, it's about building that trust. The third is that it's organic. You know what that means? Is that chances are it's come from conversations that you've had or past experiences that you've had. And it's it's sort of like, you know what? It would be really amazing for us to work together because we see life or we, we deal with the same issues, but we're just talking about it a little bit differently. Yeah. So let's start talking about it using the same terminology. And then the fourth is that is generative. Um, and generative and organic sort of sometimes mix in my mind, but generative is that you're constantly generating new ideas sure. from, the, from what it is that you're learning. Um, and so civic engagement can get tricky because with all those four things, none of it's clean. Mm -hmm. With all those four things, there's lots of fluidity. Um, and we've had to sort of ground it a little bit and say, well, what are our outcomes for now short term? And what are some outcomes um, long-term based on what we're learning about the community, what about we're learning about our schools, uh, readiness to implement change, readiness uh, in, from an interpersonal or organizational level, um, that readiness to implement change changed dramatically from pre-COVID to today. Um, so what the individual schools were saying on an interpersonal level, we think that our administrators, our PE teachers, our school lunch personnel are ready to implement change for wellness in 2019. Well, we've got to reevaluate that now because their readiness to implement change relative to wellness 
mid post COVID or whatever we're going to call this era um, is very different because the, the context has changed so much and their mental and emotional well-being has changed so much, but also readiness to change at an organizational level. Yep. So not yep. just interpersonal yep. and are the people ready? Do they have the skills? But do we have the system structure, structure infrastructure? And, and are we ready to do this? Yes or no? Because if we're not, let's not do it half-hearted. Or let's pilot some stuff in some of those schools that are ready and yep. have some infrastructure in place. Um, but Kevin, back up. So the reason that I'm, I'm not, you talked about like how this helps me develop relationships at an interpersonal level and a scholarly level is when we've had to extend, extend and expand my research team. Um, you kind of, I had to, had to put myself and our research team out there and say, this is what we did. It maybe wasn't perfect, right? It was messy. This is where we are. We've got a great relationship. We co-present with our uh, assistant superintendent of schools um, and the um, director of school wellness and uh, they, the school has, the district has now been awarded a, a wonderful grant. And so the grant manager co-presents with us locally, um, as well as uh, when we're trying to build and extend partnerships at the, at the university level. Um, but when we've done that, and then we kind of say like spread the net and say, this is what we've done. Who else might be interested? Who else does this type of work? Can you see connections? Um, it's, it's very much about my superintendent of schools being on the call and um, because we've got a really trusting relationship and I'm not trying to take ownership of any other people's projects, Diane Wolf, Dr. Wolf will say, if you think that you've got something that you can help build and grow what it is we're already doing here and follow in line with this agenda uh, of, of wellness and well-being for our kids and community, we want you on board, right? Um, we know Emily and her team and the District 87 Wellness Collaborative, they're not going anywhere um, and there's no egos here, right? So if you can step in and if you can provide some support and we can build as a team together, let's do so. Mm. Now, when we've kind of said, okay, now Dr. Feynman, okay, you're in psychology and you've got this background in, in looking at school-based health centers and this is an area of scholarship for you. And we wanna really develop that like, we want to, you want to be on the team? Are you serious about this? One of the first conversations we have, and this is not scripted, yeah. but it's, we're about learning from one another. And this is, this is about put your ego at the door. This is about like, let's talk to each other about this major issue and what's most important and let's build and grow from one another. And, you know, Dr. Lawson uses, he's not the only one who's coined this, but he talks about adaptive competence. We have to learn um, from one another and be willing to extend and expand what we understand based on the people that we're interacting with mm. and grow from that. Like we can't, we can't um, uh, limit the possibility and potential of the impact that we can have simply because I want to hold on to my ego and um, this is my niche of information and there's no way I'm going to let anybody else um, uh, one up me on this. I mean, conversation uh, that we've had around the table, looking at each other uh, as, as colleagues on this research team, we're saying the same thing. And all of a sudden, uh, my colleague in psychology goes, well, you're talking about a school climate. We've got 20 different instruments and tools that I've used with different populations that school climate. And I think, well, I'm so glad you just schooled me on that because I didn't even have that 
I wasn't using that terminology and now that I am, um, I better understand it. And so um, leaving your ego at the door and recognizing that um, together really is better. Um, and being willing to say, I'm not sure I know this, but let's find a good team of people who can come in and uh, who do have that expertise um, and can um, help us better understand what it is that we need to know and how we're gonna make, um, how we're gonna walk alongside this, this district um, to make an impact for their kids. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. And, 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 you know, I think that, that there's so much tied up in there. Um, you know, I, I was thinking a little bit about, um, you know, that, that, that whole release the ego thing that you ended with really had me, you know, I think that that's, that's a difficult thing for many of us in higher education uh, for a lot of reasons that we probably can't unpack here. But that, that, that I think is just, it's so critical that we find a way to kind of separate ourselves from the work in that sense, I guess, so that if, you know, the, 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 if there's a new idea or there's something that, that, that's critiqued rightfully that you don't take it personally, mm -hmm. um, you know, disconnecting my, myself in a personal sense from a, 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 a well-placed, well-timed comment that advances the group, um, you know, I, I think can be difficult, but so important. Um, you know, there's also, you, you said something about, and you're referring specifically to civic engaged research, but you said something about how nothing's clean. Um, and, and that resonated with me, not just for civic engaged research, but just for, for community-based work, for work with schools in general. I mean, none of this is clean. And, and, and you know, that's why, you know, I, I, I'm so attracted to qualitative methods uh, as we're exploring these things. You know, I, I, I see myself as a, a, as a mixed methods researcher as well. Um, but, but uh, you know, when I think about work in schools um, and, I, and I think about how, you know, positivism um, and, and post-positivism really strive towards this notion of, objecti of objectivity and decentering yourself from the work. I'm trying to kind of go back to where we started here, mm -hmm. decentering ourselves from the work. But, but, but really, when we place ourselves in the work and accept that nothing's clean and accept that we're part of this process, we're part of this team, we're going to change the trajectory of this work and really kind of own that and use that, um, you know, I think that that can be, I think that can be so meaningful. Um, yeah, so I, I, I want to give you a, a chance to respond to that if you'd like to, and then I think I have probably one more question uh, before we uh, start to wrap up. Yeah. I wish I had something really great to how to respond. Um, I think learning from others, so decentering yourself from the project, but also putting yourself in the space. So you're sort of like, willing to see the issues from so many different perspectives. Yep. Um, so I guess I kind of like, I, I literally just thought of myself being in a little bit of a snow globe, right? Like you're in your research and you're like looking around at all of these issues and you're, um, uh, and the people that are affiliated with it and the programs uh, and the resources. And one of the things that I keep telling folks and we do as a team say, we don't wanna be ships passing in the night, right? Um, I want to be able to see the environment, right? So within this snow globe and all of these factors that are floating around, and I don't want to miss an opportunity um, to connect with something else in the community or at the institution that could positively 
uh, kind of uh, um, graft in to either what we're doing or we can graft into a bigger initiative beyond, beyond what it is we're trying. Um, School-based health centers is an example. There's some initiatives and some people and programs here in the state um, that are already doing great things and across the country that have looked at these issues. We don't have to reinvent that wheel, right? We don't have to start from scratch and we don't have to be the ones who are staking a claim in it and saying, um, well, this is the first time it's ever been done. No, um, this particular research um, actually is spin off from some of the great work that Greg Welk and his colleagues at Iowa State have done. Um, Joey Lee is a, is a faculty member who's on our team and some of the work that he did is his doctoral and postdoc work um, and postdoc studies were developing and expanding some of these tools. Um, that we used uh, to kind of evaluate readiness and the school wellness environment. So what we're learning from the statewide initiative in, in Iowa and how they've partnered with extension to kind of extend this into their communities, um, how we are seeing ways that like, I guess it's sort of like those snowflakes in that snow globe, like as they pass by, what are what's the way to, to kind of not let it just float past, but how can I think differently about that in a way that is going to um, uh, take and expand the work? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I, th I think being immersed in it is actually, I think you're right, it's a, probably a positive thing as so long as, uh, as long you can have a team of people that ground you and say, okay, well, what are our outcomes? Because we could all of a sudden try to do all of that work at one point. Um, and not do much of it well. So um, the relational piece, and I'll, I'll say this and we can just move along, but building that team, this collective action active team um, has required uh, me as a PI or someone who was like really invested in, like I'm the prime, I was the primary point of contact with the district to say, okay, Dr. Myers, will you be the point person please on this segment of the work? Thank you. Dr. Kabardis, will you be the point person and the expert relative to this body of work? And if you need to build your teams out, then build them. And I don't have to be the one that's doing it all. And that's hard um, for different reasons, but really, really empowering because I've been able to, and we've been able to um, support younger faculty members, maybe junior faculty members who haven't done community engaged research, um, who have a great expertise and knowledge base, um, and they've been able to come in and be part of the process and then take leadership of it. So community-based research is busy, the effort, the time, but we have disseminatable and, and outcome products that are currency for researchers and those of us in higher education who need research outcomes. Um, and so it's, it's not just a, a side project or a hobby, it's value added and um, can help people get promoted and do the things in their scholarly um, uh, journeys that are that are going to be value added uh, to them. And, and by doing this work, I really sort of feel like trying to make this value added uh, at the institutional level from a um, tenure promotion standpoint too, you can do good work that is outcome-based, that is relational and high impact in your community. Um, but it takes a team to do that. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, lots of great stuff uh, for, for us to think about there. Um, if you know anything about me, you know that I love a good colloquialism. Uh, so you dropped in ships passing in the night, which is one of my favorites. And I think you made up your own. I've never heard researchers in a snow globe before. But uh, well, maybe it'll catch, maybe it'll catch. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure I did. And, and chances are I'll use those colloquialisms wrong. So <laughs> when I do, if anybody can catch me using them wrong, then I'll give you some uh, currency. I'll give you some some bucks uh, and, and however you want to spend those out. Uh, it, it would be on me if you catch me using it wrong. <laughs> well, well I, I think you're safe for now. He said, uh, I mean, I think that, that both of those came across right. Um, so we're, we're running a little bit short on time here, uh, but, but one thing that I've been doing with all of these, um, uh, the, the interviews on this segment since we've started is ending with um, a little bit of rapid fire, uh, a couple of questions. I think it's fun to, uh, you know, because our goal here is to get behind the research. I think that part of that is getting to know a little bit better, a little bit more about you. And um, and I think it's fun just to kind of see how uh, people respond to these questions really quickly in real time. So I've got I've got six of them here for you. Um, uh, and we'll just go through first thing that comes to mind uh, for each. Uh, does that sound okay? Yep, terrifying. I'm terrified. <laughs> well, if, if it helps, they're all relatively, um, relatively safe topics, I think. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> okay. So favorite color? Uh, red. Mine too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> favorite animal? Uh, dogs. Okay. All right. I thought you were going to say geese there for a minute. and I... Mm, well, I, that's fair. <laughs> Michael Hempel said ducks. And, ducks? Uh, yeah. Yes. We decided... <laughs> I have a conversation with him. Okay. But we decided not to unpack it in real time. So maybe you can have a conversation with him. Mm. And find that okay. Too. Yeah. Favorite season of the year? Ooh, spring, 100%. Love that new life. Blooming, coming, yep. yep. Yeah, I can Absolutely. see that. Favorite place on earth? Mm. Gosh, um, my, my, my first go-to is my childhood home in the wooded area uh, where you can just kind of forest bathe uh, and, and just completely be in, in nature and quiet space, quiet mind. What does it mean to forest bathe? Unplanned question. Oh, um, uh, this is, that's not my term. Um, and it is uh, 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 to be in forest and wooded spaces around nature. Uh, and it has nothing to do with anything disrobing. I promise you can look it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just being and surrounded by, by the forest. Love it. Um, favorite food? Give me a solid, my mom, Teresa's meatloaf any day of the ooh, week. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Good, good mama's meatloaf is unbeatable. That's right. Um, favorite thing to drink? Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, that's, uh, that's the, the recorded version. <laughs> that's the recorded version. <laughs> love that. Love that. Um, okay. Well, uh, that, that, that brings us to the end of the list of those questions. Thank you for playing along. Um, so once again, uh, uh, this, this is um, the, the, the behind the research segment of, of uh, playing with uh, research and health and physical education. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us today, Dr. Emily Jones from Illinois State University. Um, the, uh, the article will be linked in the show notes. Uh, if you're interested in taking a, uh, taking a look and, and learning a little bit more about the research that was done here, but thank you for taking us behind the scenes.
You're so welcome. This has been a pleasure and I'm excited to uh, learn and see more behind the research from the other podcast episodes. So thanks for doing this. I think it's really exciting and it brings um, brings to life the messiness uh, and the, the wonderful part of, of doing this work. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you.